Hello, everyone. Before we get started, I was thinking whenever we try to, if we remember to do it, our mid-rolly type of stuff, it's always a little rushed and annoying, and it also just frankly takes away from uh, showtime. So I thought I'd put them here at the beginning. So uh, next week, I'll be in uh, D.C. on June 7th, not only doing a workshop with my colleague Mark Heckler, where we will be going over things like how to switch over your process in large organizations and how to think and model that. That's the part I'll be talking about, the usual sort of uh, meatware thing that I go over for about two hours. And then my colleague Mark Heckler will be taking, uh, for the rest of it, I think about two hours as well. He'll be actually looking at architectural things like microservices and coding a lot of the, the way that you would do your software in a, uh, in a cloud-native way using Spring and other things. And so you'll get a full sort of like end-to-end tour of what that what that all looks like to be one of these so-called cloud-native organizations. Also, I'll be at the cloud-native uh, DC meetup that night going over my usual uh, sort of talk, uh, you know, a condensed version of, uh, of all of this. And then on July 25th and 26th, in Minneapolis, there's DevOps days going on up, up there. It's always a good show. It looks like they've got a good lineup of speakers, and uh, the people who organize it always do a, a good job and know how to uh, make sure that the content and, and the tracks and, and even the uh, the arrangement of where the food is served is always nice. You can get 20% off of that with the code SDT, you know, Software Defined Talk, the abbreviation there when you register for it. And finally, uh, I wanted to recommend a uh, the other podcast that I do. Well, I guess one of the other podcasts I do uh, called the Cote Show Variety Podcast, or just Cote Show. I like to put Variety Podcast in there. It's over at Cote.show. And if, if you want to check it out, it has a variety of things in it, as the name would imply. Charles and I, from the Drunken Retired days, we uh, do a, a show every couple of weeks where we talk about our usual drunken retired types of things, if you remember that show. And then we I also do a lot of interviews every now and then, often with Matt Curry, uh, who works over at Allstate with people who are managing changing over the way that they do software to all the DevOpsy agile stuff. Like I just talked with uh, this guy, Brian Gregory, who's been on before about how they're doing that over at Express Scripts. And then there's just miscellaneous things like I teamed up with Barton George, old friend of mine, to do a bunch of interviews at DevOps Days Austin and OSCON. Anyways, check it out over there. It's over at uh, Cote.show. And with that, enjoy the episode. All right. Well, you know, I work at home as we we had an extensive uh, pre-recording podcast covered lots of uh, lots of topics. I think I think uh, it rated three listens, highly engaged listeners. Uh, you know, well, first of all, let me before I get to my nominal unrelated topic, I say no, the word nominal too much. Uh, I think I'm just entertaining myself. We just we just like- you you like nominal. That's, yeah, good. Well, I like it. I like it more than than people saying basically. Oh, That's basi- my new basically. pet peeve. Basically, because. Because usually they're talking about something complex, and it's like, okay. Well, also, people saying like, I got a lot of pet peeves lately. Yeah? Yeah? You're going to have to kennel those when you go on vacation? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, first off, brief mention, speaking of podcast meta stuff, we took delivery of two Casper mattresses today. So I, uh, we've, got, we've got internet mattresses going on. We'll, we'll see how that, uh, that works out. I saw I saw a a little thing that I forgot to blog in my Ulysses text editor, which I think is is still pretty good. Their handling of rendering links in Markdown I think is a is a pure violation of the whole point of using Markdown, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, anyhow, what was that? Oh yeah, I I saw I think I think uh, Casper reported they have like two or three hundred million in revenue or something, which uh, which is fascinating. No profit margins reported. That I could tell, uh, but that's uh, those internet mattresses are doing all right now. What I actually wanted to discuss with the, with the two of you who one are around my age uh, or the same, uh, not exactly to to a month. Uh, <laughs> we don't share a birthday. I, I, you we know, got it. I, I, this is a whole other topic. You know, I've I've learned in about uh, man, is it twenty years? What years is almost twenty years with my wife that 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 I have this this speaking of pet peeves this tick. Where if someone asks me a question and I'm not 100% certain of it, I don't answer definitely. And so I always say, like, I think or I'm pretty sure when it's basically like 99% accurate and it drives mm. them crazy. So I got to uh, I got to correct that. You got to be more definitive. Isn't this like that? But isn't that like uh, the variation of the old uh, like when you're writing like passive voice? Mm, yes. Uh, don't yes. like I, I got that comment and I think I still do it. Like everyone's like, don't use passive voice. Just like everyone knows who you are. Just say it. And I'm like, that's I can't do it. Like it seems like everyone agrees, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's all right. I just do that in text. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I should do that when I talk as well. Yeah. There, I don't there's know. A browser plugin. 
I'm 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 that, not that'll I, fix that. I'm not into the whole confidence assertion thing. It seems like a lot of work. I think uh, I, I I don't like it. Anyhow, here's what I wanted to ask you is so so I work at home and, uh, you know, the kids, both of them are now officially off school, uh, as it were, or out of school, I should say. It's not like it's a drug that they're addicted to, although it seems like it, except they don't like it. Addicted addiction. Anyhow, it's, it's the opposite. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, the methadone. Yeah, it's like it's like best best advice we've gotten from from a Hollywood movie in the past few years. Don't get addicted to water. You got to watch out for that. Anyways, uh, these cartoons they watch. There's a subset of them where basically people are not the characters in the cartoons are just speaking gibberish. They're not speaking any discernible language, right? And uh, notably, there's this one called like Philo or Phineas, and it's kind of this like like uh, spooky nightmare Christmas. What's Nightmare Before Christmas uh, thing ripoff? And then there's another one, the Angry Birds one, and they just like they speak gibberish. Now, I can only—I've got two questions. I can only assume this is for internationalization, the I-18N, oh, sure. as they used to say. So you can lower lower costs, you can sell them to more markets, right? But but two, like, is this a new thing, or when we were growing up, were there were there uh, cartoons like this? Like, there, I f- were, there were. Yeah, remember like uh, remember Charlie Brown, all the adults, <laughs> or or the th- much much of the Three Stooges, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, there was like, wah, 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 yoink. <laughs> but but I words. but I feel like every every single kids' entertainment thing I had was was uh, either in English or like in a language, not in like this gibberish thing. Which don't get me wrong, I don't have anything against it. I'm just curious if this is like an innovation in cartoon. And then and then thirdly. Mm-hmm. If it is, I'm sure there's some word for it, like, oh, we're going to do a gibberish cartoon or something like that. Like Lorem ipsum of, of yeah. l- language? I don't know, yeah. I mean, Teletubbies was that way, but I guess that's mm. the, that's younger. You know? Okay, okay. Then, uh, we're pulling the thread from the sweater. Yeah, yeah. Um, who else does that? Somebody else did that. I mean, it's it's not new. It's not new. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's people who don't matter. Uh, all the I don't I don't know if your kids play them. All the various Lego video games. No, you know, like Lego Star Wars, Lego Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. The characters never speak. They just you know make noises. Oh, yeah. And you know because it's Star Wars, you know what's going on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know the context. Um, the movies, of course, they talk. But uh, yeah, that's not new. All right, <laughs> nothing's new. It's all just right. you know packaged up containers yeah <laughs> also also before before we get to the containers like uh can i just say that angry birds cartoon is just worthless just garbage <laughs> i mean i'm sure i'm sure i watched the equivalent uh quality of things when i was a kid but man it's just like there's nothing going on there like yeah uh, i don't know Kids these days, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and then to add more, my, my son now knows it's this joke. Like, we we, uh, we don't let him watch that uh, that caveman show, The Croods, and we're sort of like, it's right there in the name, right? Like, it just, you can't watch this. This, this is not. <laughs> you're like, let's go back to the clean values of Captain Caveman of my youth. Yeah, yeah, Captain Caveman, the Flintstones. I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> they weren't even wearing pants. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking of that, uh, as you as you said, so you know we were we were looking at the news we have this week. I think I think as always, there's a uh, there's I guess no pun intended because I understand this is a pro- a project in this world, but a raft of uh, container news around. And then you got a you know we should follow up on the uh, the the Red Hat uh, OpenShift IO and Code Envy acquisition, and uh, I don't know. There's a few other miscellaneous items. And and then and then my favorite part is uh, getting a detailed overview. I can only assume it was you, Matt, of of this hot dog who looks like he's about to eat himself. <laughs> you know, I've been sitting on that photo for a while. Um, yeah. Let's just cut to the chase, right? <laughs> I'm I'm walking through Tokyo, and there it is, a hot dog with ketchup and mustard, applying to himself with the big, you know, looking his lips, and you're thinking. He, what's he thinking? Is is he really going for the the self cannibalism, or uh, does he just like the way the ketchup feels? <laughs> or maybe maybe that's the the uh, tongue out of mouth application of helping uh, ensure more precision in some manual work that he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway. I've I've seen that I've seen this. Uh, oh, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. It's hard to say. I've seen this hot dog before, 
but I, I often forget about it. I mean, there's a lot going on in this picture, which we'll probably use for the cover stuff. One, it's notable that uh, he has both a mustard and a ketchup eyebrow, right? So he's sharing those two. Uh, now, a, now a logical question is, are those attached to him or has he spurted that onto himself? And then that would also lead <laughs> you to conclude that he's he's applying ketchup to his head as if to be hair. The, the little creases in the top of the hot dog sure do look like, looks like kind of hair. Kind of like... Um, uh, uh, a peanut style hairdo, uh, or or uh, who who was clearly clearly no one wants hair in their hot dog. Yeah, who was what, <laughs> what's 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 the name of uh, what's the name of the Simpsons character who's like grandma tastes like cigarettes or something? The uh, the the smart little one. My cat's breath smells like cat's food. <laughs> um, oh, geez. Uh, I've only been awake for twenty minutes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, and then the other thing going on with this hot dog character is like that that little fucker needs to cut his nails. That's that's those are some long, vicious looking uh, fingernails oh, that he's got. Oh, I don't, I don't want hair or fingernails in my hot dogs. Also, also, I just noticed he's wearing some some pretty cool shoes there with socks. He's 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 rocking the hipster white socks with the not so hipstery Converse. I don't think people wear Converse anymore, do they? Uh, sure they do. I'm, I'm not with it, Ralph. <laughs> but Matt, right, where's the kind? Of, like, what is this picture in front of? Is that a bar in the background? A liquor store? What? Like, what's uh, going on it, there? It's probably a little tiny hole-in-the-wall restaurant bar. I mean, mm. this was just me late to a meetup in Tokyo, but taking the time to to, to snap a photo. Yeah. Um, yeah it is interesting when you like unpack the whole thing. I was like, one, someone had to design this. That in itself. Interesting question. What kind of direction were they given? And then two, it looks like a local shop. So I would imagine they don't have a huge uh, marketing and sales budget, but they did choose that this needs to go in front. So decisions were made to get this out here. And that's the part I would like to understand. Yeah. And then maybe it works. I don't know. It is an unusual thing. If you wanted a hot dog, maybe you'd stop. Yeah. Yeah, it almost it almost you know with with the the it seems like there's some americana in the background. It almost looks like this could almost be on the the like inspiration board for the set designers of the man in the high castle. Like I I knowing, <laughs> I feel I feel like this might be like you know in the Pacific states, the Japanese controlled San Francisco. In fact, in fact if you remember uh one of the streets you walk up from Moscone to uh to Market Street there's a cigar store there and there's a similar sculpture of like this really happy guy holding a cigar and I feel like this might be right across the street you know you're uh you're you're like I would like a hot doggo and and you just you're walking down there seeing that so that's uh you know speaking of thorough analysis <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, uh, well, you know. Let, let, let's mention this uh, quickly, and then and then we can we can uh, talk about container stuff. But like the the Mary Mika report came out, and I think that was uh, I think that what is this Thursday yesterday? And someone someone some of the uh, some of the people in Pivotal were like, "Hey, Cote, you should uh, you should write something about this," along with some other people. And yeah. so so I ended up writing uh, a whole of some an, an analysis of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had a little bit more depth than our previous analysis of that hot dog person. <laughs> you mean my my comment of computes with an exclamation point? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it is it well, uh, Brandon. How would you describe the Mary Meeker and team? And team being very important uh, internet trend reports. Oh, I, I think it's just, it's just catnip to anyone interested in the internet and. You know, as I as we were discussing, it's I love the how Mary Meeker just goes all in. It's like, hey, you know what people really want? They just want a PowerPoint of lots of different uh, data and presentations. So, you know, this is the anti Jeff Bezos thing. It's like, no, people don't want a long memo. They don't want a long blog. They just want PowerPoint. They can scan through and see like hundreds of charts. And I'm sure everybody uh, is like taking some of those charts wherever possible that it helps make their case and like you know um, pulling them out and using it. Great viral content. Like I'm sure the, those numbers and those slides will be used in thousands of future presentations. Mm. And I'm saying I spent – I didn't write anything on it, but I did spend too much time going through the whole thing, and, and I did think it was very interesting. Yeah. I mean, who, who, who knew that uh, Kleiner Perkins was all about the clickbait? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I think. That's the other part that's kind of funny is like even Kleiner Perkins, all this internet, all these internet companies, all this different way to like do content. What do they do? Just PowerPoint. They just PowerPoint, throw it out as a PDF. 
And it's like not even like the PowerPoint that's like aspirational with pictures. It's like no, it's super dense with like just sentence fragments everywhere. So it's like what people always say: this is bad. And I bet you that PowerPoint gets you know more views than most presentations in the world. I mean, it's, it's just so so interesting or has so much data that people want to consume in it. And you know, if if Brandon and I ever start this new podcast we're always talking about, which is basically like your uh, your 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 survival tips for solving unsolved murder mysteries in large corporations. Uh, I think I think that would be a good intersection, right? And we'll throw some politics in there and then it's and then it's off to the races. <laughs> we'll get acquired right. by like Vox Media or Gimlet or Atlas Obscura or some shit. Uh but anyways, uh you know, this this is a this is the implementation of one of my big rules of uh, of corporate meetings, which is like presentations are just uh, documents accidentally printed in landscape. And when, once you accept and understand that, then then you're cool. You can do all these things. And I, you know, because I wrote up a bunch of like little highlights and notebooky things on this, I felt like I should watch her presenting it. It would be a little presumptuous to. Uh, read through a PDF and not see the actual presentation. And there, there's two things. One, uh, to, to the landscape printed thing, she, she, she very, very accurately and, and somewhat humbly to the fact that she presents this every year and it's a big deal. She says, uh, this is really not intended to be presented. This is intended to yeah. be read, which which this is what we, we call leave behind deck. Yes. Yes. And so, so, you know, her, she goes over, she I, goes over it is not accurate, but she gives you a quick table of contentsy overview in about thirty minutes, which is fine, right? Kind of kind of gives you the uh, the main highlights, and uh, I don't know if, if if I were to summarize it because because here we are. I mean, you should go read the uh, the full post where I summarize it brilliantly and pull out the things. I think I think from the perspective of what we and probably the listeners are interested in, you know, there's a bunch of consumer shit where you're like, hey. People got phones in their pockets, and and the kids want to buy the internet mattresses, and old people are dying, right? And 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 the uh, the the U.S. and Western markets are basically tapped out tapped out as far as smartphone penetration and growth. I mean, it's still growing, so sell through internet channels, and you got uh, I don't know voice recognition and image recognition and new ways of advertising stuff, and that seems to be working. Uh, and then and then it's it seems like. I don't really know international markets well enough to verify this, but my my hunch is that the analysis of China is essentially like, yep, that's pretty much a market now. You should go do the same thing over there. And here's some ways that it's slightly different. Like there's a uh, there's an analysis of like mobile payments uh, in, in China. And then also something that I don't think in America would ever take off uh, a bike sharing services, which either that's just uh, ludicrous funniness or an actual thing uh, in non-American markets. You know, I don't know. Uh, I bet in Dutch land, they'd love that. Uh, and then also there's, I don't know if this is the first time or, or whatever, but there's, there's kind of a look at India as an early example of another market. And uh, it has similar trends of like ubiquitous internet access and affordable uh, internet in your pocket. And then also, uh, you know, what's important in all these things, and this is all in the consumer space, is like, well, how much disposable income is there actually in that market? What do people spend it on? And, and if, you're a, if you're a fan of the landscape documents, there's a mecho chart in there, which is very exciting. I haven't seen a mecho chart in a long time. Those are fun. You get a little, get a little uh, Excel add-on that's like $200. You can make your mecho charts. They're awesome. Um, <laughs> it's fun stuff. And, uh, I don't know the upshot on India is like, eh, it's hard to do business there, but like, it's probably worth looking in there as a, uh, new pool of money to go, uh, go after if you're in the consumer space. And, uh, and then like, and then I, you know, I forget what the double digit growths are. It's something like uh, 20 to 30%. It's just like, yep, Google and Facebook are gobbling up all the advertising dollars. So mm-hmm. we got that going on. Uh, yep. But yeah, the consumer stuff is good, and then there's a small section on uh, sort of enterprisey stuff, where it looks at. Um, I don't think I think I think someone else is named as being the primary person working on this section, which it's always good and very polite to give credit to people. Back when I worked on uh, landscape documents, credit was never given to people. It was just like, you know what your credit is? Here's a fucking paycheck, and that that uh, that would, <laughs> that would <laughs> rankle some people. But at least you're not bitter. No, yeah. no, no. I I I didn't care because whatever like uh, anyways uh there's other but i think in the deck though there are some things kind of for our audience i think yeah. the if we kind of go back to our you know amazon just has one strategy so if you're interested in what they're doing just like mm. look at what they're doing in their other businesses and then that's, that's probably what they're going to do in the business maybe you care about so the 
the one thing uh, that was very interesting is one talking about Amazon uh, opening retail stores, and then Amazon has become uh, a very uh, leading private label supplier of baby wipes and batteries, which I think yeah. is interesting, right? So they're actually getting to the point that one, they're actually opening physical stores, right? And then two, um, they're actually making a lot of, the, or at least private labeling some of the key products. So then, you know, in the cloud section, right, because the narrative is like everything's moving to the cloud, right? That's sort of like the constant narrative. If you're not moving to the cloud, then you're, you know, doing something wrong. But I think if we play this forward, right, we will say at some point, Amazon will, you know, let you basically have a private data center, sort of like they started with the CIA. Now, I don't know if that's like next year or five years from now. Um, but I think that's, again, like that's sort of the direction they're going. Like just like they're, now they have retail stores, right? And then mm. you know, they're, and they look more and more like, and the, I think the comparisons to Walmart in here are actually quite interesting, right? Like now, obviously, Walmart is making its play to become a, a uh, you know a digital uh, storefront, um, obviously way behind Amazon. But um, so and I you know there was a, I can't I meant to look it up before the show, but there was this economist from uh, NYU that gave this four horsemen presentation that we talked about on the show several years ago, and he was one of the guys that pre- and he he um, predicted Amazon would open a retail store, right? So like he's come true. And his his whole point right was like this is just the natural progression of where they're going to have to go, right? They're going to have to get into retail, and if they want to own all of it, then they'll have to open up some stores. And of course, they're going to do things differently. And of course, those stores, I'm sure, will have a lot of things that are different than you know, like a Walmart or something like that. So, so like right now, I would throw out there, I'd be like, well, Amazon will probably eventually start you know hosting private data centers or private clouds for people. So that would be my, you know, again, just looking at what they're doing now. And then what they could do, how can they apply that same strategy in a different market? That, that, you know. That's that's a good synthesis of all those parts, Brandon. I, I didn't uh, I didn't think of that angle, but yeah, you're right. Just just like I got uh, Matt Rado, you sound like you disagree. What's your what's your take, Matt Ray? Um, I mean, there's a very small subset of customers who would justify private Amazon clouds, right? So so they are probably willing to like push hard uh, against any company. Any, you know, short of probably like a GE or somebody of that scale. But, you know, you have to be a government to have to justify enough customers to for them to slap down, you know, 40,000 nodes. You know, there's just, you know, because operating at 10,000 is probably, I mean, there's another, somewhere in the show notes, there's a link about the economics of data centers and, you know, this race. And it's like, you know, they'd rather force everyone into their 100,000, you know, they're, they're huge AZs rather than try to you know, sprinkle an AZ around for everyone. But uh, right. other than right, that, yeah. That, I think take that same thinking, right? Like, well, why do they open a retail store, right? Because the retail store doesn't have good economics, but they have clearly are making a push into retail because, I mean, I would throw out because they feel like, hey, to own the whole market, we're going to have to do the same thing as well. So we're okay with giving up some profitability and some of the yeah, but, uh, but the, the 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 margins on a small data center are much worse than you know a, a large one that they can throw a bunch of customers onto. I mean, the U.S. government that's a huge customer because you know it's hundreds of agencies. But you know, for somebody to show up and say, "Well, we need you know ten thousand nodes that we're going to be the only consumer of," they can say like, "You know, piss off," you know, because you're going to have to run a full you know a, a full like data center specific to them. They're the only customer. How much cap are you going to dump into supporting just that one customer? Then the the, the crew, the opex, it's essentially like, well, uh, the margins have to be exceedingly high for that to be worthwhile, or you just bully the customer into coming into your public cloud and give them white gloves treatment. Okay, so like, why do all those arguments? Why does all of that, or doesn't all of that apply to a retail store? The same kind of things. The margins are lower. You're not going to reach as many customers. Like, people should just order it online. Um, you know, it doesn't have the reach as, as internet. But they, but they've chosen. They're at least making you know uh, uh, the look to go into retail. So there's clearly a strategy well, that they're okay making less money there, but there's some for some reason they want to get into it. Yeah, I'm. I think this goes back to uh, the comment, you know, a while back that at this point, Amazon is a data center company with a gift shop, right? And all the retail stuff, <laughs> yeah, they want they want to be everywhere with that, but they don't have to do that with cloud. 
And, you know, cloud is going to, you have to be big to make a lot of money with cloud. Um, retail is just, I don't know. Um, See, I think this is just, I just kind of go back to the same thing. It's just like, why, I mean, you don't, they're the number one online retailer. Like they don't, don't need to be in like uh, retail, like physical retail, but they're going to do it. So this is why I always go back to like, you know, what they do in other businesses, right? just like the batteries things like right it's like hey they're gonna eventually like i'm sure they sold a lot of online duracell batteries and they're like you know what we'll take that business right so and that's something that plays out over and over again and so i think there's i don't know i just kind of come back to like i think because amazon kind of i i always look at it like hey they're going to one always be customer centric and then two right how do they just keep taking more customers from other people regardless of cost right so it's like if they have, so like on the retail side, so it's like, fine, they're the number one e-commerce retailer. They're probably like, you know what? We're going to put the herd on the physical retailers. And you know what? It hurts them even more if we're sitting right next to them. It just means that those people are going to have even a more difficult time competing with us because people can drive to our stores or order online. And I think the the data center thing, I think, is sits out there. Like, you know, because they have the, I forgot the name of it. You know, they have the 18-wheeler truck, right? What's that thing called? That like, well, like, like bring all your data like you can like bring it to the data center like the uh the snowball or something i think it's like it has a bigger name it's like something like that so they have that and then and i think that's just another way right they're like hey we got to get these these guys that won't move so we'll send them an 18 wheeler they give us all their data and i think the next thing may be like we'll send the 18 wheeler and we'll just run the thing in their physical premise and then maybe the next thing is like okay we'll let them you know we'll actually run this as a private data center so um it's just i don't know i just so I would just be my, we'll see, right? You know, obviously I can't like, can't prove it to you today, but I think eventually uh, it plays out that way. I, I mean, I mean, well, I think, I, I think, let, let me, let me, let me do the, uh, the, the, the pro case here. I mean, if the following conditions were met, then why not sell a private cloud? Now, the first one is, uh, is, is, is Matt Ray's point, which, which I think is maybe the hardest, like, well, it should be profitable. <laughs> right like so so you you want to have you want to figure out a way that it should be profitable the second is like a technological thing of, of like what is the minimum footprint for all of aws like if you if you were to just like i don't know what they use git or something if you just went to their magic pipeline and they were like build aws like get all the <laughs> software and build it together like what's the minimum thing you would need and right. I would imagine it's pretty big, although maybe we would be surprised. Who knows? I mean, uh, let's let's That's just right, go ahead. Right, right now, things like snowmobile and uh, and those um, snow cones or whatever they're called, um, they uh, they do S three and a little bit of lambda, mm-hmm. and they don't do EC two yet. But you know, they'll let you do lambda compute. Um, so, so they're all they're trying to do is grab up the edge data. So so let's you know, so let's, let's uh, everything else yet. just for the purposes of seeing if this is bullshit or not. Let's postulate that you could get four cargo containers and have a mini AWS in it. Now it won't be redundant, and it might only have like I don't know fifty terabytes of storage. I'm just making shit up, but like you could basically have all the services in there. Now there'll be some services. I don't know all the 500 million services in AWS, but there's probably some of them that are related to geographic protection that wouldn't make sense if you've got one geography, but whatever. Maybe you spread it across your three containers. But let's just say you could have three containers of of, of whatever, of computer junk that would run it. So in that case, someone's got to pay for that. And I would assume mm-hmm. part of the business is, well, hey, customer, why don't you pay for that? Because that is that's sort of like <laughs> that that you know both I'm sure other companies are like this, but both Amazon and Dell have this pretty good mentality of like, how about I don't pay for it? Uh, and and so like I would assume that if you want the private cloud, you got to pay for the hardware, right? Like that you know paying yep. your paying your on OpEx instead of CapEx is nice, and we got a whole other product called AWS if you want that. But if you want to run this on public cloud, then you pay for that. So you remove the cost of the physical. Uh, three-dimensional stuff from Amazon and basically you have to pay the R&D to feel to fit it there and then and then I mean if you wanted to I guess you're gonna have to pay but then you get it's just enterprise software you'd also get paid a service fee if you're gonna manage it and you get a fee a fee if they need help upgrading it right uh, so then so let's say we take care of those two things then the third one is like well does someone want to buy it 
And that's hard to say, right? Like from my anecdotal experience, like enterprise buyers are very schizophrenic uh, in their behavior mm-hmm. about if they want public or private cloud. And, you know, you look at surveys and every year it's it's kind of like what uh, virtual desktops used to be. Every year, next year is just going to be the end of private cloud. And then there's a continuous stream of surveys, like there was uh, the Uptime Institute one recently, which I've you know flogged around a bit, where it's like, ah, 65% of infrastructure is still on-premise. What are you going to do? Uh, and it's been that way since 2014. So I don't know. I mean, if it's technologically feasible <laughs> and, uh, and and people will pay for the, the hardware itself, it seems like there's a lot of people who like would still be interested I'm sure in private I'm- cloud. I'm sure they have a product manager who's working the snowmobile angle to get those dropped into data centers to offer the minimum competitive unit with Azure Stack, right? And mm. Azure Stack is still still beta, still is, you know, is it, not yeah, rolled is, out. That, that thing's not out yet, right? I've lost track yeah, of it. Yeah, and, and, and they've, they've repeatedly said it's going to be a subset of Azure functionality, uh-huh. as you would expect. And so... You know, if I bet if, if Azure Stack comes out of the gates and you know sets the world on fire, Amazon can fast follow on that and just you know flip on eight more services on their snowmobiles and yeah, you know now they're a competitor. Or Azure Stack turns out to be you know a boat anchor around you know Microsoft's neck of having to support all these customers with high touch, you know support, and maybe they just wave back and they say you know hey the snowmobile does you know three things, four things. And if you want anything else, get into the real cloud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's no, I think it all makes interesting sense. Interesting take on all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just going to like um, kind of leave off with something else happening in the news there. But you know, obviously the British Airways, right? They had that uh, unfortunate data center outage in uh, I guess somewhere in, in England, right? And everyone got stranded at uh, at Heathrow, which I think on a good day Heathrow. This feels like a tense airport. So, like everyone being stranded there every day, that seems like uh, some version of hell. So, hopefully, everyone made it out. But, you know, kind of going to the IT side of it, it's like, you know, what is British Airways? Is this a good? I think it's a good example of just like, you know, a a very uh, old school business that that is probably very aware of like the issues they have. And it's like, okay, well, like, what does what do they do? Like, okay, should they try to move everything to the cloud? Right. When they, I'm sure they have like tons of legacy stuff, and they have data mm-hmm. centers everywhere, and it's like, you know, it's not like they don't know about AWS or you know various other cloud platforms. It's I think a combination of like legacy applications plus, you know, being uh, in England and having some probably unique privacy concerns plus just trying to understand run the continuity of their own business. Obviously, you know, they they proved that they didn't have any like redundancy when some some big you know power outage happened. So. You know, and when I've talked to Amazon, you know, sort of just different ways, right? Like, I know it's a problem they're always talking about. Like, this is where they want to go. They want to service those customers. So it isn't even so much like the customers aren't willing to move. It's just the customers just in a very complicated environment, right? There is no yeah. easy answer. I think a lot of customers are in that case. It's not like they don't want to do it. It's just like they don't, not even sure how to do it. So I think that's yeah. where, like, hey, we could roll in, you know, a combination of Amazon's what virtual private cloud and uh snowmobile type machine right is like maybe the starting point it's like okay why don't we run a vpc on your own hardware you can have it here and if it went if it goes bad then yeah you can maybe fall over to some of the public infrastructure you know what i mean like just kind of help them figure it out yeah. right because i think that is what so many companies um and i think financial companies are in the same kind of uh um uh, area are trying to figure out. And I think that's what maybe ultimately attracts Amazon into that market is like, we got to be able to help these really large customers who just frankly are just, you know, don't know what to do. Yeah. And, and, and I've been working with you know, customers like that the last couple of weeks where they have a landscape of mainframes to hardware, to virtualization, to Kubernetes. <laughs> and, <laughs> And public cloud and private cloud, and they're just kind of like, how do we wrap our heads around this? And 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 then meanwhile, they've got part of their IT outsourced, where you know they have SLAs of you know they have a change request, and the SLA says two weeks, and their outsourcer will you know fiddle some bits, you know, at mm. thirteen days, twenty hours to keep those SLAs from expiring. Like, how do you fix that? And and I think it's it's very tactical. Um, I'm sure. Hopefully, there's some some good books on 
you know, how to attack the enterprise tarpit. Um, but yeah, I think part of it is you can't really outsource anymore. I mean, you can outsource functions, but you can't outsource your operations. And um, and because these guys are literally hamstrung by the fact that they, you know, they put this stuff offshore to save money and they can't move. Yeah. No yeah. matter what they do, they cannot move. You know, you know, I have looked for those books you mentioned, Matt Ray, and as far as I can tell, they don't exist. Right. Uh, and, and, and I, and I think, I think the, uh, and I think, I think, I think your points are like spot on. I mean, I think, uh, uh, I see all the same stuff, right. And a good symptom of that, which I'm sure you encounter all the time is that, uh, you know, we wrote a little, uh, I know you're not supposed to say script, but whatever. We wrote a little chef script that opens a ticket for us. Like that's, that's always a, uh, a, a great move that you hear about a lot. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, I, I think, I think, I mean, the simplest way I've tried to boil it down over the years is like the years is like, what you should do is put all your stuff in a SAS and, and then that will just <laughs> remove, just, just start off with why can't this be a software as a service thing, right? Just go through the portfolio. That'll take you two or three years. Just do all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then anything that's left over, that's probably like five, depending on what kind of person, you know, thing you are, that's maybe like five to 25% of your existing IT portfolio, right? And, and think of everything that IT is in charge of. And, you know, sure, you should do all of that in-house and focus on that and do all your crazy stuff. But, like, you're probably spending a lot of time, like, keeping weird systems up and running that you should just, like, commoditize. And uh, Go ahead. Oh, and, and 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 I think further. I mean, this 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 gets us to uh, talking about uh, Isotoner and Hephaestus a little bit. But like, it 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 seems like uh, the other thing. Like when I encounter these people, uh, these people. When I encounter large existing enterprises, you know, I don't know if BA is this way, but you go to like all these companies, and it's basically like, so I've got an eight year old Sonic ESB that uh, is core to my application with like five other off-the-shelf middleware, things like that. Uh, it just goes on and on. Like one time I encountered someone who was using um, like autonomy as part of their core system. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, and, you know, there's just a bunch of weird stuff that's accumulated over the years. And it's just like, I, what do you do with that, right? Like it's yeah. it's it's like I mean, if, if you have like a 1930s jalopy, basically the best you can hope for is to like strip out the inside and just keep the shell of the outside. Right. Like, I mean, what you, yeah. you're not going to like fix the engine in there. Right. Like, I, that, mean, I, I mean, I guess if you're a hobbyist, like maybe, but like, <laughs> so that that's where we are. Right. I mean, when you get into these big enterprises there, there are teams that essentially at this point are like hobbyist IT. They're keeping yeah. these, these, you know, bespoke systems from the nineties still alive. And Man, I would I would read the hell out of like a book that you know somebody like a Jez Humble or Gene Kim goes and takes you know three or four enterprises and says you know how did you how did you implement the Strangler pattern for enterprise IT you know and that would be that because that's all it is right you look at all the old stuff you identify what needs to be deprecated replaced removed what can be modernized and you start doing it and part of that is technology but a lot of it's cultural because there's all these you know these these uh you know hobbyist it people who are like you know what my job is to keep the mainframe talking to the middleware and i've been doing this since dickety four and if you show up with your fancy you know cloud foundry automation i'm going to be out of a job so they're going to fight you tooth and nail um, so yeah, I, I'd read that, but that's also like what we encounter almost every single day. Well, this is a good opportunity for the mid roll before, before we get to a brief overview of, of the latest container orchestration confusion fog cloud. And, and let me just say next week, June 7th, I'm going to be in Washington, <laughs> DC. You know, we don't have the solution for all of that in this tiny workshop, but if you're in the federal government, me and Mark Heckler are going to be going over, like, at least a new way of doing things. And uh, I'm somehow going to talk for two hours about a mindset and a process, and maybe I'll channel Matt Ray in my own rephrasing and be like, look, your current portfolio is fucked. Unless you take care of that in the future, you can guess what you're going to be, right? As we used to say, garbage in, garbage out. But uh, you yeah. should come to that. It's for free, June seventh, and I'll also be speaking up, uh, speaking up, speaking at a meetup later that night. Just giving my, you know, not actually a DevOps kind of talk, 
But uh, both of those are free. I'll put links to them in the show note. Show notes. You should come to that. And I'm actually uh, one of the co-chairs uh, of the DevOps and pipeline and systems management track. We don't call it systems management for Spring One platform, which is I don't know December fourth or sixth or something. And uh, I've been looking over talks and also sourcing some. That's uh, trying to get to a little bit of what Matt Ray was saying. Is like so. Uh, so how did we fix that? And there's a couple that I've more or less secured so far that I think uh, I think will answer that question. But yeah, to that point, like, man, that's why because I, I can't find those books. I spent a lot of time trying to write that stuff, and I, I think there's just not enough uh, enterprises who have been doing it long enough to actually write uh, helpful things beyond the consultant's answer of "it depends." Uh, but there is uh, <laughs> you, you got to. I think you first have to start with that mindset of like what we have probably isn't a good idea. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be interested in changing. Right? <laughs> no, no, no enterprise architect sat down in 2017 and designed what we have. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, do either of you have? I know ChefCon's over, Matt Ray. Does either of yeah, you have yeah. any mid-roll? Uh, not, not at this point. We, you know, it's, it's a lull. Yeah. It's about to pick back up. Like, like, a, like a lulls. Well, let, let's. Uh, so, how do you how do you say these two names? One of you take a stab at it because I just I just I, is is it Istio and and I keep wanting to say hepatitis, which is insulting, but it's Heptio. Is that is that, are they the name of the two things? And then and then you got because uh, he had Core OS conference. I'm just diving right in the middle of a lot of sentences here instead of speaking logically. You you had the the Core OS thing where they announced some container stuff, and then I guess it was last week. Like the the Kubernetes people talked about their Istio layer, and I don't know where the Heptio thing fits in there. So uh, we got a blizzard of container orchestration things, which which as I as I was uh, as I was I, I think the phrase is subtweeting about this morning. Like every time there's a new bucket of container news, it makes me realize I totally misunderstood what the previous bucket of container news was about. Because because <laughs> you read through, you read through this stuff, and and the the. Um, I, th- I think the tectonic thing is basically like CoreOS is like, we're going to do tectonic as a service, which I think means what Kubernetes does. I get confused. Or maybe they're managing Kubernetes, but it's basically just like you've got to manage the manager. And they were like, that sounds cool, and I've got a giant beard, but all we have out now is etcd. And I think etcd is basically like a transactional key value store. That that yeah. you use for configuration, which is fine. The tragic, it's you know, it's a, it, it's sort of like related to the tragically named Google Chubby thing, which sounds like something only like a bunch of dudes would come up with as a name, but that's fine. <laughs> um, so you got to have that in a distributed system. Turns out you need transactions, which is fine. Yep. You got to have transactions. I remember when our buddy Jean Pierre, like he finally gave me my epiphonic moment about what transactions did, because even back then I would find someone who was smarter than me and I would back them into a corner, like I do Matt Ray on most episodes, and be like. I don't understand what the fuck this is. Explain it to me. And, Why uh, do I care? He, yeah. <laughs> Make me care. <laughs> he did a pretty good job. Now, the one that I spent all my time looking up today is the Isotoner one, the the Istio. And from what I can, this is this this drove my comment of uh, I still don't understand what uh, what the the Heptio thing does. I haven't read enough about that. I like I like their tagline, making Kubernetes useful or usable or something like that. Which which that that sounds that sounds yeah. like the old Chef Puppet division right there. Which will which would be fun to see play out. Do you so before we get to the Istio, do you, do, do either of you know what the 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 Hestio no Heptio is? <laughs> Brandon, do you want this one or should I go? No, you you can take this one now, right? Oh no! Jump in there, go for it. All right, so so imagine if you will a massive open source landscape, maybe like OpenStack, but it's called Kubernetes, uh-huh. <laughs> and there's a bunch of little companies trying to you know fit and fight for their share of this this uh, land race. And uh, Heptio, to my understanding, and you know hopefully I'm not offending these guys, is they're they're showing up and they're like we are the we are pure play. We are going to run um, Kubernetes as uh, we're just going to help you install it, configure it, understand it, support it. So it's very much a services play at this point. Mm. I don't think so there's it's, a it's lot like, of uh, it's like the Mirantis of Kubernetes. Yeah, I don't think they're heavily productizing it yet, though. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, they're uh, they're still early days. I've Probably at some point they're going to drop a product like, you know, a la Marantis. Um, they're probably, you know, they're going to 
offer to support it in your data center, you know, something, something like that, right? They're gonna, they're gonna make the enterprise play because that's where the money is, right? Mm-hmm. If you think you're gonna make the, the public cloud play, you're just gonna run into, you know, Google and Microsoft running, you know, uh, Kubernetes as a service, and probably Amazon will too. But at this point, you know, Amazon doesn't have a Kubernetes, so there's probably a lot of like, oh yeah, we'll we'll manage your Kubernetes on AWS for you. Right. Or we'll you know link between your data center and you know OpenStack or your private cloud of choice. And you know, that's our play. So you've got Heptio very much a pure open source play. Um Marantis is back in this, right? They I think I don't know if we got to it in the it was in the show notes maybe an episode or two ago. They have announced that their last release of OpenStack is their last pure OpenStack release. So they are now in the open slack OpenStack slash Kubernetes game where it's a mishmash of that and they've got their, you know, enterprise supported version of that with installers. And so they're, you know, they just pivoted from OpenStack to Kubernetes slash, you know, you need to run some VMs. And that's that's their play. And then the CoreOS guys you know, they pivoted early on to adopt the, the the dominant tools out there, right? They they had their own scheduler. They dropped that in a hot minute for Kubernetes and adopted that. And and so now they're running Tectonic. And Tectonic is, is both an enterprise, uh, you know, enterprise cleaned up version of Kubernetes with a couple of other of the services that you would expect from Google. So they're, they're rolling out things like uh, some of the, the big data uh, services that they've got a database that they're doing. I think they, you know, um, uh, they've got a NoSQL database that they're, they're working on. They, they work on etcd. They're, they're, you know, they're all over this place. Um, but what the latest play with Tectonic is a managed hosted version, right? So they're, now they're in that kind of blue box, uh, version of, of OpenStack where they're like, you know what, you don't want this, you know, let us just run it for you and you just consume it and we'll make sure it's up and running. And part of that is, you know, they'll make publicly available services of some of the things you're going to need a la etcd, right? So maybe, you know, I didn't, I don't know if I saw that, but you know, maybe you can consume etcd only if you want and, and just that. So it looks like the OpenStack ecosystem again, where you have this land rush a little, you know, you know, they're they're not huge, but they're they're uh, they're still fairly small players, uh, fighting against you know carving out niches in that big enterprise ecosystem as the public cloud guys you know seal off you know the the top of the the market and you know IBM's in there just like they were with OpenStack, uh, HP's probably in there with some. Kubernetes somewhere, you know, it's, 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 it's the same game, different, you know, different players. That's my take. Well, that's good. That's good. So, so then, so then, so then I, I, I read, uh, I read up on the Sistio thing, right? Cause, yeah. cause, that, cause that's interesting. And, and I haven't looked at the, uh, what do you call it? The pedigree, I guess, I guess, uh, ostensibly, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's from the, uh, the Lyft people, uh, cause they have this yep. thing called Envoy. And then and then and then you got uh, you got the IBM people and then you got uh, the Google people right and they're they're like uh, there's like some super band of people and then they got this open source thing called Estio and and this was the one that was like oh I didn't realize that this stuff didn't do any of that uh, and basically yeah. and basically <laughs> the uh, the documentation that I read through one very excellent documentation I was extremely yeah. envious it made me want to go back and reread all the, uh, the Cloud Foundry documentation because I think I would uh, have even deeper understanding of, of how Cloud Foundry works now that I have another model to compare it to. And it's not a complete one-to-one mapping, but still, like, there's interesting, similar concerns going on there. But, well, one, so it seems like the Estio thing is basically like, so, uh, so you got all these microservices, Right. That's that's how it starts. And there's 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 a good uh, if you know, normally I wouldn't recommend Hacker News, but the thread on this is pretty good. And there's a few little like uh, register comment level breakdowns that people have about microservices, which are which are uncharacteristically delightful to read. Uh, So you could do that if you want to have fun. Uh, 
But basically, the Estio thing is like you got these microservices, which let's reduce it down to processes running in containers. And what you want to do, it's funny, they, they pitch the CIO as wanting to do this. And I think in most organizations, the CIO would be like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking with the Mary Meeker slides. You nerds go figure this shit out. But like, <laughs> but like the, uh, you know, because that's their job. Uh, but so basically, the CIO would want to say, you've got all these processes running in containers. I would like to establish policy of how they talk with each other and how they interact with each other and across different programming languages, standardize how data is passed between them. So is, and, and then it also has, uh, I would also like the controls for doing circuit breakers and policy extends to how you do your A-B testing and your, your canary stuff. Like you say, uh, I want these three different versions of a microservice and I want to roll out 5% of the traffic or traffic with the following URL to that 5% and test it out. So it does all of that. I hesitate to use the word orchestration, but it does that microservices orchestration of where traffic's going. And it seems like one of the large accomplishments they're going for uh, is basically specifying how you would specify all of that. I love a good specification specification. Um, and of course, it's in YAML, which is exciting, right? Like, you know, who, who, <laughs> who likes, who likes, who likes uh, XML when you can have tabs and colons, right? Like, yeah. big fucking deal, right? But apparently, that's what the kids like. So yeah, more yeah, power we'll to him. The, the Python of, of XML. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as always, you can tell I stopped coding in 2006. So I'm, you know, old, old man yelling at YAML. Uh, but anyhow, and then, and then the implementation for all this becomes incredibly important because basically they have a sidecar, which I think is just a, a term for monkey patching containers. You have a plugin. You install this sidecar on all your containers, and I think you like hijack or take over or intercept or proxy all the networking that happens. And then when you have the magic networking control, you can basically do all of this and enforce things. Uh, wow. Which which sounds great, but it's sort of like so. If that's the case, what the fuck did all this other stuff do? <laughs> right? Like it's just like. I mean, how hard is it to like install software on a server and make sure that the networking works? It's like it, it, it makes me and and I'm I'm saying this. Mm, what would I rate it? Forty five percent facetiously, and fifty five percent seriously. It's like so. Is it just What's because? Going on these yeah, days? yeah. It, it's just like so. Is just VMware too expensive? Like, is that is that what the problem is? Because I'm pretty sure like VMware can install your servers and like do shit for you and i imagine it's expensive but like so basically all the docker stuff and the kubernetes stuff is like i got a bunch of servers i need to pack them with containers done right like and and maybe there's some other things in there but like it seems like according to what istio does and then that you need to have a marantis of kubernetes i mean i know like i'm speaking down to it and i'm more like saying this to like figure out what it does but it's like so what does all that stuff below it do? Yeah, what was going on before? And yeah, so that was a very, very good roll-up, Cote. Oh, say. a um, rare compliment you know. from Matt Ray. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm always complimenting because, you know, you, you actually went much deeper than I would have on, on a lot of that. Because um, there are already projects in this space in the container ecosystem um you know they've got uh was it calico and was it flannel i don't know yeah yeah you um, got you got like fuego and linkerd and like there's actually yeah. i mean this is all proxy stuff but there's an interesting comparison page of of what envoy is compared to other things and then what's not compared on there is like the netflix oss stack and and you 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 just compliment me by my my presence, Matt Ray. I, I don't mean to be insulting in that <laughs> way but by, by your presence no, did no, i say my but, presence whatever but, but, Whatever, but you know, you 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 wrapped it up. I mean, there's already stuff in this space. I saw a lot of people get excited about it, and I was like, I had the same uh, impression as you. I was like, wait, I thought there were already things doing this. You know, is this just how is this different from the other ones? And why is everyone excited this time when you know Calico and and uh, Flannel are already out there? Um, I don't know. And and this is why this is why like somebody the other day asked me why Chef wasn't in the business of doing OpenStack anymore. And I said, Because it's insane trying to keep up with the pace of innovation. Mm. And if this is not your core business, uh, you're not gonna do it. And and so, you know, back at back at the Chef days when I was wearing my, my uh engineering hat, I was like, you know what, we're done. 
uh, we are not, this doesn't, this is not our business. Well, and, and anytime anyone asks me about this, that space, and now I'm going to say the same thing for the Kubernetes spaces, get yourself a vendor. There's no way you're going to do this by yourself. You know, unless you're in the business of running Kubernetes, you cannot do it yourself because it is insane how much stuff that has to be sorted out. And, you know, maybe it's Heptio, maybe it's CoreOS. Everyone I've met at those companies, wonderful people. But, man, this stuff is moving fast. Yeah. Now, so, now to try to try to address some of your questions, because I, I had the same questions, right? Like through, through my my reading today, right? It seems like how it's different, right? And and it is 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 the it's it's like in point one alpha. So I you know let's just take it all on face value that uh, that the bear dances, uh, but but and then that the future will be glorious. But it seems like the main difference. There's two things, at least in my mind, that are different. Is like like I said, and this is not a slight in the least the documentation is really good, right? Like yeah. it's like comprehensible. Uh, you know, you can read it and be like, oh, I see what's going on here. Like you need to have a little bit of familiarity with maybe not gang of four patterns, but like the idea of having pipelines and adapters and kind of know mm-hmm. how like HTTP works. And then there's a leap you have to get to, to like, well, so when I generate the HTML, how do I actually get that in a browser? So they don't really cover that, but I think it's kind of assumed uh, that that'll be taken care of, but it's really the, the organization it's, it's, it's easy to understand or, you know, easier to understand. Yeah. And, and, th- and then that kind of gets to the second thing. Well, I, there's three things that gets to the second thing is like, as I was saying, there is, you can tell that there's this, they're striving to have a standard, right? Like a yeah, standard yeah. of how not only like some YAML stuff, but a sta- a model, like the standard of what the architecture looks like. Um, and, and all of that, which, which, which is nice. Right. Uh, and, and then the third thing is, uh, it's, it's multi whatever, right? Like, so the idea is that, so if you use some of these things, like it only works for Java or it only works for this thing, or it's not as easy to make work for these things, which I'm not really too sure if what I just said is true or not, but that's the impression that I get. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and whereas this one is intended through its multiple layers of abstraction and agnosticism, which are words that I just love reading, uh, like essentially it, it tries to be as multi whatever as, as you want it to be now, probably wisely for their case, they only support Kubernetes now, but they said they're going to support like, you know, AWS you know, and, and, and cloud foundry and, and yeah. all that. So, and, and, so, so to wrap all that up, if, if the ambition is to have a standard, for how how you do all the operational stuff you need for microservices, that that seems good. But then it does still get back to the thing of like, so no one's been working on that, which which is 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 not so much like I'm saying it shouldn't exist. It's just more astonishing. It's more like rug being pulled out of the whole microservices thing that there wouldn't be more like work going on there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, because I, I, I think like the flannel and calico stuff grew up next to Docker, and this is growing up mm. next to Kubernetes. So, yeah, yeah. you know, they they've got all this aspirational stuff about you know other platforms, but I bet that slowly falls away, and they only focus on Kubernetes. Yeah. Um. And and maybe that's the differentiator. You know, it's it's Kubernetes native uh, as opposed to you know something you bolt on and kicked a fit into that ecosystem. Because it came straight from Docker, you know, and then you yeah. know, Docker evolved fast. So th- I think that's our, our distinguishing feature is like we started with Kubernetes and, you know, I'll be surprised if, if they go to all those other aspirational things. But yeah. we'll see. Yeah, yeah. it's good stuff. Yep. Need to see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I, I easy to <laughs> watch this space. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the, the, the last thing I need, as I kind of complained about is, is there is, there's an interesting example application of like looking at a, uh, looking at a book page. I love it. After all these years, a bookstore is still the, you know, one of the, the hello world applications of, of the world. Right. It's just like, anyhow, uh, those shopping carts have to be multi-tenant. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they, in their demo, they don't actually show here is the browser with the rendered page and how all the bits got back to a human. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's somewhat laughable that they don't, uh, they don't go to that point, but whatever. 
that's fine. So, uh, yeah, there's there's my extensive show notes uh, that I took on this. You can go look up lots of uh, there's links to the you know my summary of the documentation and things like that if if you want to entertain yourself with that. So, uh, and as always, uh, you know, there's some stuff that we'll have to skip covering, like uh, like Red Hat bought this company, Code Envy, which I think I've talked to their people a few times. I think it's actually some some XQuest software people of all folks who started that up, and uh, I exerted some analysis from when I formed my former. Uh, 451 uh, colleagues, Carl Lehman, going over some of the stuff there. Uh, there's even a call out to Del Spudnik, which is just you know, oh, yeah. exciting in there. And uh, let's see, you just go to the go to software defined talk slash 96. You can find all the, uh, there's a dot com in there, software defined talk dot com slash 96. You can find all these things we haven't uh, covered and uh, and do that. But why don't we uh, why don't we close out, as always, with our recommendations? You want to start this week, Brandon? I do. So this week, um, potentially you're unhappy with your job. Potentially you're thinking, uh, you know, I, I have an idea. I have an idea for a company and uh, I'm going to become, you know, I want it to become huge. I want to know if that idea is good. And so if you are someone thinking about that, I'm going to suggest you listen to uh, a new podcast I kind of got turned on, Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman. And the episode you should listen to is beauty of a bad idea. So Reed Hoffman, who I bet most of the listeners know, is one of the founders of uh, PayPal and then later went on to found LinkedIn. I think he's probably one of the leaders of what is affectionately known as the PayPal mafia. And now he's a big time VC. So normally I shy away from this stuff because it's like oh, a lot of halo effect. But I thought this episode was really good about him walking you through how he looks at ideas and how he evaluates them. And the short answer is, um, or the description is, you know, most ideas today, I think, are always are typically going to come across to people as potentially a bad idea. I think a lot of maybe the more obvious good ideas in today's society, highly competitive businesses, have been done. So, you know, when you pitch your friend the internet startup, you'll probably get like a very polite, hmm, that's kind of cool. I can, may- yeah, maybe I could see that. And then you ask them like, would you use that? But they'll probably tell you like, no, I don't think I would do it. But I could see someone else doing it, which is a very nice way to say um, your idea is stupid. But he gives you a nice way of kind of listening to that feedback and dissecting the feedback and understanding like when they tell you that they're not interested, like what else do they say? What is some of their body language? What are some of the types of um, things that they may say or do that may be indicated to actually uh, has more potential than maybe they're letting on or maybe even that they know. Uh, so it gives you lots of different ways to think about it. So it's a good, you know, it's a good listening he interviews. Uh, some entrepreneurs has like some people talk about it, um, but I found it really useful. I, and I like it just because he doesn't necessarily give you any secret, like these are how you get good ideas. He's just sort of walking you through at least how he likes to evaluate ideas. So, mm. so check it out, run it through your friends. So that way when they're telling you politely, they don't like your idea you can kind of ascertain whether or not there may be something good about it anyway. So enjoy that one. I, I always like the thinking about thinking topic. That's always good stuff. Models to use when thinking. Perfect. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Um, you know, we, we, we all listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, uh, have a lot of friends who do podcasts, but the, uh, the rest of the DevOps guys, they've, they've had a, you know, a, a really good run of, of interviews lately but uh, the the brian cantrell um andrew schaefer one uh recently called old geeks yelled the cloud that one is that one is if it's i guess six weeks old two months old go back and listen to that one because it is uh some very epic rants there brian cantrell's got a lot of history with uh with oracle and sun and you know had just finished giving a keynote or something and, and came off quite uh agitated and excited so very very entertaining um go go listen to that that's that's my pick and then of course as usual i'm i'm working my way through brandon's uh picks from months and months ago and currently watching uh westworld and and enjoying that so thank you brandon Mm, westworld yeah i think i want to check it out i think i think my dell technology overlords hired one of the people in there to touch an electric cow it's a good ad you should check it out (laughs) So, uh, so first of all, I'd be remiss if I forgot a uh, a late term mid roll, which is I think I have the dates this time. We have a discount code for DevOps Days, Minneapolis, 
uh, it's uh, July 25th and 26th. Now, this is, of course, along with other people, I, th- I think both Donnie Burkholz and Bridget are, uh, you know, worshiper of Crom, uh, are both uh, heavily involved in this. And you can get 20% off if you register if you use the code SDT. I would... Hi- I- I unfortunately am not going because uh, I'd like to keep my uh, going to get divorce meter very low uh, with respect to travel. But I've been to it before. It's a great conference. Uh, you should you should go to it and check it out if you're in that area. It'll be uh, super fun. Now, that that's I'll put that in the show notes if you uh, missed my little screeding on it. But my recommendation is uh, just a very simple one. Like I mentioned, I think this is the last episode. I've been I've been switching up my uh, my my diet. You know, not eating beans. Now this one actually would have fit. Well, no, it wouldn't have because it's got apples in it. But I found this recipe. You know, there's always the mystery of butternut squash. What the fuck do you do with that, right? Like, because it's basically not good. Right. I'll just posit that like like to make it good. The only way I've known butternut squash is good is you cover it in butter and sugar and cinnamon, which, you know, it just becomes like a vehicle for butter, cinnamon and sugar. The the solution is in the name. Yeah. You need butter and nuts. Yeah. Hey, but I have found a way. Now, whenever you have some substance that is of questionable goodness, if you basically cook the crap out of it and mix it with bacon, you might have a winner. And that's exactly what I found in this butternut squash hash recipe, which is like hash, you know, not like the drug, but like like hash browns and stuff. And you get cubed butternut squash, you mix it with onions and cubed apples, and you basically broil it all. And then you mix it with four to six strips of bacon, and you're off to the races. It's uh, it's delicious, and uh, it's 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 a good little thing you can make for yourself. And you know. If you want to be like a uh, super fancy modern person, you can go buy your butternut squash pre-cubed. Otherwise, good luck figuring out how to cut what's basically a piece of limestone with with a knife. I don't know. Butternut squash is very difficult. So uh, so go go try that this weekend when uh, you're doing your cocktail chatter or whatever. So with that, this has been Software Defined Talk. As mentioned earlier, if you want to get the show notes for this episode, including uh, things we talked about and the the little discounts that we threw out and things that we skipped, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 96. And also, if you want to check out the other episodes, find out how to subscribe, which you should totally do, then they'll just be automatically downloaded. Whether you listen to them or not is not an obligation. Just download them. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, find the RSS, the link to iTunes. While you're in iTunes, I hear this is a horrible experience, but you could leave a review, which is always nice and welcome. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I think that's all we got this week, right? Anything else? Yep. Yep. Bye-bye. Ship it.